Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode two. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton. This is the Toddcast. Just want to throw in a special thanks to Justin and Curtis, the Hartshorn brothers, for that awesome intro. Just something they threw together in the Hartshorn studios. My guest today spent 15 years with a community-based mental health agency. She's transitioned into her own private counseling and consulting practice called MindJoy Counseling and Training. She's spoken and taught for us many times with Disciple of City and has a fantastic story. Please welcome Anne-Marie Covert. Hey, Anne-Marie. Hey, well, that's a pretty warm welcome. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on the show today. It's my honor. Anytime I get to hang out with you, it's a blast. Awesome. Uh, I was a little slow on the controls here as I'm, it's only episode two. I'm still getting used to all this thing to find, you know, the studio audience just to get them encouraged <laughs> and everything. So anyways, uh, yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. So Anne-Marie, 15 years can, can, I just said program manager, but can you just sort of elaborate a little bit on what your sort of official title was when you were working there? Absolutely. Actually, I held a few titles, but I've worked in the in a community mental health agency, the Canadian Mental Health Association, for 15 years. I was a counselor, a case manager, an intake worker, and then for a number of years, probably about 10, I was a program manager of different programs, both youth and adult mental health programs. Awesome. Mm-hmm. A wealth of experience. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So, Anne-Marie, as you, uh, as you know here, we're, we're wanting to do this podcast just to hear people's testimonies and their stories, how they encountered God and, and how they've been sharing the gospel in their life. Or, and um, I understand you grew up in a Christian home. Can you sort of talk about sort of what that was like for you as a kid? Absolutely, I can. Yeah, I was I was very privileged to uh, have a mother who was a believer. Uh, but my story is a little bit more in depth than than it might appear on the surface. Because uh, even though she was a believer, a beautiful Christian, um, a lot of what she believed was quite distorted because she had a very serious mental illness. And that's a big part of my story. If you'd like me to to share some of that, absolutely. And and that that was from birth, right? Yes, For it was. You. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I really believe that God wastes nothing in our lives. And my story has been tracked by mental illness from day one because my mother was very bright. She had a very high IQ. She, you know, was in university at 17 years old back when they still had grade 13. Um, She was almost a professional tennis player, like just this amazing. She was an artist, super, super beautiful, intelligent woman. And then uh, when she was giving birth to me, she had what's called a psychotic episode, literally while giving birth to me. I was an emergency C-section. It didn't really go very well. And her her mind just broke. And she she told me when I was a little girl, she probably shouldn't have, but she told me that she thought that I was demons inside of her. It felt like snakes. And uh, after I was born, 
uh, she was never the same. Uh, and her psychosis, so postpartum psychosis, turned into what's called schizoaffective disorder, which is when you have symptoms of schizophrenia. So that's hallucinations, delusions, seeing things, hearing things that aren't really there. Um, and also with bipolar disorder. So her moods would swing. So she would either be very depressed or she would be very manic. Um, and when she was manic is when a lot of the hallucinations and delusions would occur. So my story from day one, literally, was this having this beautiful single mother who raised me, who had a very distorted perception about God, herself, and the world. And vicariously, I picked a lot of that up. You know, how could you not? The person who teaches you about life, who uh, cares for you, sees themselves in such a dark way. And so I saw myself in such a dark way. And that's been a lot of my journey of healing and then also wanting to work in mental health to help others heal. So that is a tragic, like that's a tragic story to have something like that to happen at birth. Um, what what age would you say that you were at when you sort of were aware? Because obviously as an infant, you wouldn't be aware of these things. But what age were you when this became your mom's condition became aware to you. Yeah, it's interesting because she always defined it as she was um, demon possessed. That's, a, that's actually how she always described it to me. So I just grew up believing, you know, my mom's oppressed by demons. Um, and it wasn't until I was 17, actually, that I realized she had a diagnosable mental illness. Um, it's just so interesting, you know, trauma, different things we go through can be quite normal, even though they're not normal, if that's all we know. And when I went to school, I was of the age where we didn't talk about mental health. It was still that generation where it was sort of like, you know, you might hear that someone was struggling, was hospitalized, one of your classmates from school, but you didn't talk about it. It's like, what's wrong with them? Yeah, that whole private, this is our own personal private yeah. thing. You keep it behind closed doors type thing. And even though my mom had social workers and counselors and psychiatrists, no one ever talked to the kids. No one, no one ever talked to my brother and I and said, hey, how are you guys doing? Did you know this is what your mom is struggling with? This is something we do now in our mental health system. But back then the kids were just kind of there. And so no one told me what her diagnosis was or why she had it. I figured it out kind of on my own. So at, all through then, your mom brought you to church. You were attending church growing up mm -hmm. as a teenager mm -hmm. and all that. Yes. So what, what had the church believed that was sort of impressed on you that you later found out to not be true? Yeah, I, I went to a, a number of different churches growing up, and the, the message was always similar. Uh, and the message was just have more faith and you'll be okay. You know, just cast all your care on him because he cares for you and then you won't have anxiety or, you know, um, the Lord says 365 times in the Bible, fear not. So, you know, you better not fear. Um, there's just, there's so many scriptures that speak to our mental health. And that was sort of the pat answer. Like if she just believed enough, she, maybe she would be better. That was maybe 50% of the message. The other 50%, there really wasn't anything. It was sort of like she was invisible. Like people loved her in the church. Uh, they were kind to us, but no one ever talked about her mental illness. It was sort of the un, undiscussed thing. Um, stigma or, or well-meaning Christians who just didn't understand. Maybe they really wanted to help but didn't have a clue how. And I am so passionate about equipping the church in mental health because one in three people will struggle with their mental health in their lifetime. And you've got a church of 100 people, you know, 33 of them could have a diagnosable mental illness. It's a lot of people. It is. We need to talk about it more and not shame people and say, just have more faith. 
well-meaning, but it's, it's not the whole picture. Yeah. Was there, um, was there sort of a vibe that, that God allows these things for a reason? And so there was a reason. Did you get any of that type of thing with the church when you were growing up too? My mom certainly believed that she actually, um, it's actually very common. I found this out later, but she thought she had committed the unpardonable sin. She thought she had blasphemed the Holy spirit. And that was like the root of a lot of her mental health issues. Um, and when it comes to the church, again, like most people didn't really talk about it. Um, so I guess it's hard to generalize different people's perspectives. A lot of people, it was just, you know, have more faith or maybe you've done something wrong. Maybe just repent. Maybe there's a root of sin in your life. Um, and then other people just perhaps were so desiring to help, but didn't have the words. And so they didn't really know what they thought, but I, I have heard when it comes to both mental health and physical health, that often, you know, God, he works all things together for good. Right. And so sometimes that message is maybe he wanted this for you. Um, but my heart, my heart can't settle on that. I believe he'll use it, Yeah. but I can't believe that he wants torment for any of his children. Yeah, totally. I, I, I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I understand that although there were sort of these different concepts, thoughts, potential, trying to help from the church, there was something that you were seeing in the word as you started to dive into the word that contradicted that. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you saw in the word that sort of had a different perspective than what you were learning and growing up? Yeah. In my, in my journey with God, uh, he's taught me a lot about faith. He's taught me a lot about healing. He's taught me a lot about his heart for people. And in there, I started to really discover his heart for our mental health, his heart for our soul. Like we are spirit, we have a soul and we live in a body and mental health can be affected by all three areas. And so when we use a paintbrush and paint everybody with the same color and say, it's a spiritual issue, we are grossly missing the mark. I could have too much caffeine and have a mental health issue. That's not a spiritual issue. I just have too much caffeine making my heart work too hard, which is setting off my sympathetic nervous system, which is giving me an anxiety disorder. So we have to be very careful not to generalize. And, you know, I started finding in the word things like uh, King David, a man after God's own heart. He wrote a third of the Psalms. Many of them are lamenting Psalms. So this man of faith who God says is his friend and is a man after his own heart would write about God, where are you? My soul is in despair. My bones feel like they're all dried up. My hope is lost. And that's not a sin. That's lamenting. And that's part of what our soul needs to do to be able to get back to hope. And so again, painting this brush of just have more faith and your mental health will be okay is missing the mark. It's shaming people and it's keeping them stuck. When if we allow them to process that pain, they actually can find their hope. They can actually have that faith and they can actually heal. Right. That's awesome. Um, so you, uh, when you went to university, well, you got married just before you went to university. Is that right? I got married in university. Got married actually. in university? Yeah, my, yeah. In, after my third year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you're away at university and you met some people at university that helped you see faith, the gospel in a different light. Absolutely. Can, I, can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a great piece to bring up because, you know, I grew up loving God, believing in God, but I don't know if I knew him. 
you know, I, I used to say that I was a Christian by default. My mom believed in Jesus, so I believed in Jesus. And that was sort of my story. I didn't have like a drugs, rock and roll testimony. I was this good little Christian girl. Uh, most of my life went to Sunday school. I knew all the stories. But I also had a lot of anger inside of me because sadness, when unresolved, turns into anger. Um, anxiety, when unresolved, turns into anger. And I had a lot of trauma from my mom and things I saw her do because of her mental illness. So I go to university on a self-discovery journey and I meet these people, one in particular, who had joy like I've never met. She was just so vibrant, full of life, full of passion for God. And I was like, I want what she has. And she knew Jesus, didn't know of him. She knew him personally, intimately. She was excited about God and what he was doing. And it changed me because I was like, I, I got hungry for something I never knew even existed. You know, to see a Christian with joy as opposed to my mom, bless her, beautiful, but she was tormented and shamed in her faith. That's not God's intention. Then I saw this beautiful Christian woman alive, peace, joy, and I wanted that. And it, it absolutely set me on a direction of discovering who I really am in Christ. And you know what? That's, that's really interesting and good and good to point out too, because not everyone needs to have this like you said, drug, whatever story. Mm -hmm. I totally believe that whether you grew up Christian or not, there's a point in your life where there is some kind of encounter where something happens mm -hmm. that, that makes it real to you. Absolutely. Right? So did you start uh, hanging out with this person? Did you start attending a church or did you meet different people or sort of what did that look like? And what was your... Did you have a moment mm. beyond that? You saw that in her and that you wanted that, but did you have an actual tangible moment where something clicked or where it became real to you or, or what, what, what did that look like? Oh, it's such a good question. It's a bit of both. It was a, it was a process and it was a moment because I can actually picture myself in my, um, uh, the residence I was living in at the time. It was like an apartment with five girls. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, and I just I can kind of picture myself in there and just pondering this and just realizing this is what I wanted. And it was also gradual. So this, this woman, uh, her name is Ashley. She was a missionary. So she's in Ottawa, Ontario as a missionary from the States to plant a church. Even Canada needs missionaries. Absolutely. We have a lot of Christians who are asleep and a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And so she was here and she was vibrant, full of life. And she planted a church. It was called Celebration church and uh, it was targeted towards university students targeted towards people who didn't know Jesus we met at 5 p.m. on Sunday because I know university students don't wake up early when they don't have class <laughs> <laughs> and so I just grew and became part of that church family and was surrounded by community who loved Jesus and wanted other people to know about him and over the next few years I just I left university a different Anne-Marie than I went in I got a lot more than a degree I got a new faith and a new relationship with Jesus that's so good. That's awesome. Um, and what, what, uh, what happened with your mom? Yeah. So my mom, it's interesting. I, I, for years I believed for her healing. I prayed and, uh, I sought Jesus and I had hope that things were going to work out and she continued to get unwell. And I held on to faith, you know, that she's going to be well, she's going to have the mind of Christ that were promised in the Bible. And, and, uh, she didn't, she didn't get any better. She got worse. And it got to the point where the voices were telling her she was going to kill someone. And my mom was the sweetest person, like just such a gentle soul. And she couldn't live with that. She, she, she was okay with hurting herself, but she couldn't live with the thought that she might hurt someone else. I don't believe she ever would have, but the thoughts, they feel very 
overpowering. They're lies and you don't have to act on them, but it's consuming. Um, and she was very afraid, even though she was this gentle little creature. Uh, so she eventually took her life. Uh, it was in, it was, uh, 13 years ago, I think this year that, uh, I got the call, um, that my mom had drowned herself. And, um, all I can say is in that moment, God gave me a peace that passes understanding. It might've been a bit of shock too, but I survived that day. I survived the next few months. After that, shame hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm a believer. I'm a social worker in mental health. And none of those were enough to save my mom. I couldn't save her. And yet I can honestly say a hundred percent. God has completely healed me from that shame, from that pain, from my grief I know she's in heaven. I know now she has the mind of Christ and I celebrate in that. And I know that God redeems our stories. And for me, you know, I didn't get to see her healing here in this lifetime, but you better believe that I planted her life as a seed, believing for a harvest that I'll see other people healed in her memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you know, you, you, you say you you really wanted to see her mind um, be renewed in Christ, but even admits that her heart, right, was his. Mm-hmm. And then having that hope of knowing that regardless of what happened in the flesh, mm-hmm. that her spirit is with the Lord. Yes. That's uh, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. She definitely knew Jesus loved him with all her heart. She just, she just struggled with so much shame and so much torment, but her heart was pure in him. It's, it's really... Um, it's really good to hear that you discovered Christ and had your heart changed, I guess, for lack of a better words, while you were in school before this happened, right? So you had him close to, to your heart to go through this as opposed to not having him and having to go through it, you know? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine I would have been crippled by that shame. Because even with him, like he was like, he was like my oxygen. Like I was, I was drowning, but he kept me alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this, this was at the tail end of you in school that this happened? Uh, actually, it was uh, two years after I graduated when that happened. Okay. So I, I had been back home for a while, married, so not living at home with my mom, but visiting her often and trying to take care of her. And uh, she was like, she was living with my grandmother, actually, um, when it happened. So I got to spend some more time with her in the last couple of years before she died. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. Um, and, and so you were working, you were working at that point for a couple of years. Yes. So, um, I understand there's, um, a story of a promotional position that you were looking for at work. That, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you mean about my master's? Yeah. 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 Can oh. you talk about that story? I heard that story and I thought, wow, that's that speaks to the Lord. God is so good. Like he really redeems our stories and I can, I can see how he's brought so much good out of my, like my, my sad journey to put it bluntly. Um, and so I'm in this mental health organization and I'm trying to serve God and love people and see people get better from mental illness. Um, and a few years in a job opening comes up for a program manager and I'm right away, I'm like kind of excited and kind of want it. But I'm like, wait a minute, I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, ex- I'm still like in my early twenties here. Like I'm not experienced enough. So I had all these reasons why I shouldn't apply for this job. 
and I'm talking to God about this and just telling God all the reasons why I'm not qualified. And, you know, God's so gentle and, and loving and it was quiet. Let me do all that. And then all of a sudden I heard it as clear as day because sometimes God speaks pretty clearly. And all I heard was, Amory, I'm not saying you're going to get the job, just apply. So I did. And I got really excited. And so I interviewed. Um, I just had so much joy during the interview. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I le- did, you know, left the interview feeling really good about it. And they brought me into the office, you know, a few days later and said, you know, Amory, you know, you didn't get the job, but we'd like to pay for your master's degree. Wow. Yeah. Apparently I interviewed very, very well, um, but I was young and there was a stronger candidate, but they saw potential in me. I call it the favor of God. You know, God put favor on me because I wasn't qualified enough, but they saw something in me and they wanted to bless me. And so I got my master's degree paid for in full. But there's another part of the story, if I could just add one more thing. Absolutely, yeah. Two years before this, someone had come and spoke at my church who was a counselor and he had got his master's in counseling and he had someone anonymously pay for his degree. So I left church that day. I can picture myself at the top of the stairs. As I'm walking out, I said in my heart to God pretty boldly, I was like, God, if you want me to get my master's, you pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. And I was a girl, like we had no money growing up. I grew up in poverty because my mom couldn't work. It was welfare. Like we grew up on welfare. So I needed God to pay for my master's if I was going to get it. And he did. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So you went and did that master's and then got that position and that's when you started doing the program management. Yes. After I finished my master's, a position became available and then from there on out, I was a program manager at the agency. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Um, So while while you're working and you're doing that, being a a Christian too and knowing there's a spiritual element or there can be... Mm -hmm. In addition, do, do um, were you able to discern the difference between like clinical mental health and when someone's having a spiritual issue? Oh, that's been so much of what I've sought the Lord about because we so don't understand even the beginning of that in the mental health field. Um, actually, when I was in my university, I did my honors essay on spirituality and the need for a more holistic approach to mental health. Cause I would see it. I would go to, I worked on a schizophrenia inpatient unit and most of them either saw demons, heard demons, or felt like they uh, were Jesus. It was all spiritual, even if so, many of them had no spiritual background. And so I had to ask myself why. Um, and again, not to paint everything with a brush that it's spiritual, but I know that we are spirit, soul, and body, and we have to be holistic. And so in my asking God, I really feel like he's given me an answer. So when I meet with a client, I do an assessment. That's a big part of mental health counseling. You always do an assessment and you figure out the history, family, um, generational, genetic possible issues. You look at lifestyle, you look at environment, you're looking at the whole picture and you come up with this assessment, which is basically a puzzle of why is this person unwell and what do they need to get better? And when I do that assessment, I'm looking at everything from the spiritual to the physical and asking God, what is the root issue here and how can I best help them? And sometimes it is diet and exercise. Sometimes it is people who have been through circumstances that obviously would cause them to grieve or have depression. So they need reconciliation and, and to process that emotionally. And sometimes it is spiritual. And in fact, even secular psychology now, since, you know, after I wrote that essay 15 years ago, 16 years ago, 
in the last decade, they've been doing a ton of research recognizing the importance of spirituality in mental health recovery. In countries where they define mental health more spiritually, they see better recovery. Um, sometimes when people have fixation related to religious phenomenon, if we address that in counseling, we see recovery as opposed to just medication and other therapy, which we've done for decades and hope in faith, the hope that faith can give is also very healing and recovery because hope is a beginning of recovery. It's very hard to get well if you don't have any hope and faith can give people hope. So all across the board, they're recognizing that faith in God, spirituality is very helpful to help people recover from mental illness. Whether it's a spiritual issue or not, spirituality is still helpful. And even secular psychology now finally acknowledges that. That's very interesting. Um, so as you would do these assessments, if you found it spiritual, being it being, you know, a public um, like organization, obviously, like, could you talk about Jesus if you f- felt that that was or were you you must have been limited to what you could say from your faith, even though you know how freeing that was for you. Yeah. I like talking about this because I think that there's always such a delicate balance of like believers wanting to fully share about Jesus and also honoring where you are in the season you're in and the employer that you work for. It wasn't an environment where I could like stand on my desk and preach Jesus openly like John the Baptist or something like that. And not everybody is a John the Baptist. We also have Daniels, you know, Daniel was in Babylon serving the King. He lived a life of faith, but he did it within an oppressive system. And I kind of felt like that. I was working in, you know, mental health can be pretty dark. Working in a mental health agency where we can't openly talk about Jesus as a Christian was a bit of a cognitive dissonance for me. And that's something we in mental health, it's a term where something you hold strongly can't always align with your behavior. Like if I value health and I don't go to the gym, that's a cognitive dissonance for me. So for me, I value Jesus and hope and know that he is the answer for so, for everything, really. He has been the answer for me. He's been in my healing journey. And in an environment where I wasn't fully free to express that, that was a struggle. And I'd say, God, why do you want me here? Why am I here? Why can't I just talk about Jesus? And he'd always say, this is where I want you, Amory. This is exactly where I've placed you. And so all that to say, I couldn't on my own, just offer it. But if people brought up spirituality, we have freedom to talk about it and we should because that's their journey. And if that's important to them, you better believe I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's very good. Cause that is a difference. Cause you're right. There has to be a balance between respect for the organization or wherever you are, mm-hmm. but also as a Christian wanting to share. And there, there is a place or uh, crazy John the Baptist stuff. Yeah, right? like someone I know There's, sitting across from me right now. <laughs> well, I don't know. There is a place for for, for that, but um, you know, when you're when you're working for somebody or you're in some kind of organization like that, that might not be the place. But you're still bringing the Lord there in other ways. So that's that's very good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would say I was the covert operator, undercover. Undercover, yeah. covert operator. Even yeah. my extension was 007. That. <laughs> that's really, that's it really so good. was. That's good. Um, so how did you um, get introduced to Disciple a City? Who was your connection there? Absolutely, Adam Shepsky um, and my friends. So it, it really was birthed out of friendship, I think. And I think God does a lot of great things through friendship, through family. 
Uh, so just being Adam's friend and you and a few other people that I met early on in those days, we just had a hunger to see Jesus and to see people encounter him. Stuff that I wanted to see at work and couldn't always do. Stuff that I was you know, somewhat hindered because I'm honoring my employer. I was super free through Disciple of City. I could pray for that person with depression. I could bless the person with schizophrenia. Yeah, I was open to be able to share that hope. So you knew, you knew Adam because I met you through him, right? So you knew him outside of before that, long before that. Yes, I met Adam 10 years ago this year, I think. Yeah, we were at the same church. Awesome. Yeah, so just a friendship, a kindred spirit for Jesus. And it, it came out of that. Awesome. Yeah. What, um, can you share a story, a highlight of the times that we cruised about (laughs) yeah and not that it was about going out and doing street evangelism right but it was about just demonstrating that people are open to hear when we just want to share hope with them yeah for me it was about practice like I really learned God is good and we just need to practice sometimes living out the gospel and one story that sticks out um out on the streets we we were thirsty and I wanted a ginger ale so we popped into a bar uh, it was with two two other friends and myself. Were you, were you there? There was it you and me and Andrew. I can't remember. I, I was there with you one time because you okay, yeah, became yeah, yeah. friends with this person, okay. right? And we, but maybe the first time it wasn't you. Um, I'm drawing a blank who the third person was. Um, but we went to this bar. Uh, it was very quiet. It's karaoke bar, and uh, there was no one there. And as we were talking, uh, I get this nudge in my heart that the guy across from me on the bar had back pain. And so I was like, hey, by any chance, do you have any pain in your back? And he's like, yeah, how do you know that? And I was like, well, like I'm a Christian. Sometimes God whispers things in my ear. And I believe he told me he had, you have back pain. And that if I pray for you, you're going to be healed. And he was, he's like, are you like a, like a physiotherapist? <laughs> like he thought like I was like clinically trained. I'm like, no, I just believe in Jesus and he's a healer. And, and often when I pray for people, they get healed. And so he was open to it and we prayed and uh, he was totally healed and just touched by Jesus uh, and kind of shocked because like he's just here hanging out the bar and then this, this girl comes up to him and prays for him and suddenly he's healed. And then the owner of the bar, (laughs) she's like, we also ministered to her and blessed her. And she's like, you guys should come back and we should like set up rooms where you can like heal people. <laughs> Cause when people taste this, like when they see something radical like that happen, it just opens everything up. Like your world can't be the same Yeah. when you've like, you can't explain it. You know, it might be weird. It might be different, but it was there's just joy and you feel God's love. Like when people are healed, they feel his love. Cause it's his goodness that heals people. And so she was just like in awe and wanted other people to experience it. And that was just a really, there's so many stories, so many stories. And that's just one that kind of sticks out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I may have been there that time. I'm not, mm. but I remember going there another time and the owner's husband, I guess they owned it together, yes. came out and that was kind of, that was an interesting evening too. Yes. Lots of interesting <laughs> evenings with you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly was. Um, well, you introduced me to that. Mm. That whole thing. So this is supposed to be about you, but I'll just share a story because it is about you. Mm. Um, well, it's about the Lord, but your involvement with the Lord. But mm. when, when we first started going out and I had no bearing for words of knowledge or seeing things and that type of thing. Mm. And I remember going out with you from the bridge and you saying, oh, I feel like we're going to see somebody with untied work boots. <laughs> 
And I remember thinking in my mind, who is this girl? This is what, what? I didn't say anything because yeah. I was so hungry and so open. But but inside, I'm like, this girl's crazy. Yep. And I don't think we walked more than 200 feet. Yeah. And a guy was walking towards us with untied work boots, yeah. as you saw. And from that moment, I never questioned that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, that was just... That was an eye opener. Oh, that's such, that's so neat to hear you say something like that because you're someone I know that really walks in the gifts of the spirit and like listens to God and gets words of knowledge and stuff. So it's interesting. I don't know, just an honor to think that maybe I was a little piece in that journey. Hundred percent, Hundy P, as they say, Hundy P. So Anne Marie, you you decided to branch out from this organization and be self-employed and do this on your own, create your own business. Can you talk about that transition? What led to that transition? And Yeah. Well, being a mom was a big part of it. I was on maternity leave and, and just reevaluating a lot of things because it was the first time in my life that I, it was kind of quiet. I've been so busy my entire life. Like, you know, one summer I worked six jobs. Like I worked all through high school, you know, university, two degrees, like plus I did full, I did my master's while working full time. Like I've just always been really, really busy. So then I was on mat leave and you're busy as a mom. Don't get me wrong, but the newborn sleeps quite a bit. And so I had all this time to reflect and think and I was missing something and I wanted something different. And I started a private practice. Actually, what happened was I heard the Lord say in my spirit, as I was praying, I heard him say, Amory, I want you to be a counselor again. Cause I hadn't been for a while. Cause I'd been a manager. And I just was thinking about that, like, wow, I'll be a counselor again. And within 24 hours, three people reached out to me saying, Amory, do you provide counseling? I'd like to work with you. So it was a confirmation. So all that, you know, everything aligned between God, the quietness and him confirming. And I started a private practice while I was on mat leave. And then I go back to work and trying to do both private practice and working full time as a program manager. And it was working but I was working about 70 hours a week and I was feeling like I didn't have a lot of time for my son. So I said to God, one of them has got to give. And I loved my agency. I loved the people there. I was so excited to be back after my mat leave and I didn't want to leave, but I was feeling compelled and feeling like it was time for a change. And so one day I made the decision in my heart that I was going to take a big risk, leave a job with a pension and vacation and seniority and all that stuff where it was comfortable. I loved my team. It was a great place to work um, and take a huge risk of working on my own. And I, and I went full-time private practice as a psychotherapist. That's awesome. Yeah. And your company is called? Mindjoy Counseling and Training. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. And so now, now that you're doing that, you obviously feel more freeing when it comes to sharing the gospel or if when you do your assessments and you feel that that that's the direction it's going obviously if it's your own company yes I'm still a regulated professional and I always want to honor that as well and I need to keep my ethics I'm very ethical and in my work with all that being said um I call myself a faith integrated therapist. I don't call myself a Christian counselor. Christian counselor to me can mean maybe someone who uses a lot of theology to help people get better. And that's good and has its place. What I do is I balance 
the clinical, because I have 15 years of experience. I have my story with my mom, 25 years of living with a mother with a very serious mental illness. So I've lived experience. I have clinical experience and I integrate my faith into that because I believe God uses that. And I don't want to ever just paint someone with a brush and say, you need more faith. I want to look at what's really going on clinically and how can faith help you in that process. And I get to do that openly and freely. And my practice has developed a niche of faith integration. That's really good. That's really good and really refreshing. Yeah. It's full. I finally get to be me. Like I finally, it's like when we're not authentic over time that can burn us out. And I was starting to feel that at work. Um, I was being myself, but I always had to sort of filter, be careful. Cause I would like want to say like, Jesus, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just Jesus, you need Jesus. Um, and so I'd have to like somewhat hold that back and be more delicate and creative and how I would share what I believed. Um, but now I don't have that filter anymore. And it's very freeing that I can actually be authentic and Marie. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. It seems like the Lord has brought you to a place too, where, you know, you want to say that, but your, your experience, uh, in that business, but also with the Lord, right. is just like, it teaches us to be wise, to listen to the spirit and have the spirit direct us to the right time to, to bring that forward. Absolutely. Cause I think sometimes as Christians, we can get reactive. All these should show up. Like I should be sharing my faith. I should do this. And Jesus is never in a rush. Like there's an urgency for the gospel, but he's also not in a rush. Like he waited a few days to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't rushed to go anywhere. Yeah. He, he's, he went to a place where he had had an encounter with his father. He spent time with his father and then he went to, to go uh, to, to Lazarus's family. He wasn't in a rush. And I don't want to ever rush people to Jesus. I want to meet them where they're at. Jesus did that. He sat with them. He loved them. He talked with them. Yeah. And that's what I see my role as a counselor. There's a place for the John the Baptist, and then there's a place for the Daniel. And just being who you are, where you are, and meeting people where they're at. Yeah. You know what? That's what I love about The Chosen is it, it demonstrates that side of it, you know, in film where you can expand on those stories. And it always shows him not in a rush, sitting, talking yeah. to people, listening, listening to their stories. He is our wonderful counselor. He embodies mental health um, wellness and boundaries and, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavior therapy. Like he, he embodies all of those things that actually help people. And I love that about Jesus. He is our wonderful counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, Anne-Marie, if you, um, if you had somebody say somebody you worked with or somebody that you knew who was moving away, mm-hmm. moving away to a place where you wouldn't get to talk to them uh, again. They're going somewhere far away. And with all the knowledge and the wisdom that you've gained from work and the spirit, mm-hmm. and you sort of had a, had an opportunity to speak something into them, mm-hmm. what, what would you, what would you say? Mm, that's a, such a good question. And I, with being put on the spot, I hope that God gives me heavenly wisdom to answer that. But honestly, I feel like, it's important that we connect with God, spirit, soul, and body, and to do a self-check-in and to invite the Lord to speak. If there's any area where we're disconnected from him or ourself, and that that's an opportunity for healing and growth. So for example, maybe I'm spiritually thriving, but I'm not taking care of my soul. I'm burning out, not spending time connecting with my family and friends. That's a recipe for disaster. And so you can be spiritual and engage God with your mind, with your heart, with your body as well. He's a holistic God. Encounter him that way. 
That's great, man. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Todd. Bless you. So fun to hang out with you. Yeah, bless you too. Appreciate you taking some time to come and speak with us today. And that is uh, a really great, vast story. Mm. And I'm sure that uh, there's lots of people that are going to come through MindJoy and and be helped out helped out by you and your and your wisdom and your knowledge. Mm. And so I just we just pray for you and speak over that for your for the people that you engage with that they see the fruit of Christ in you. Mm. Amen. Thank you so much. I receive that. Thanks, Anne Marie. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the program today. Special thanks to Pearl Limus on media, Jordan Cooper and Caden Carlton on technical. We hope you join us next week. If this story's been impactful for you, you can check out uh, Anne Marie Mindjoy, just on the Facebook. And check us out too, discipleofcity.ca. If you're interested in learning more on how you can share the gospel, please reach out to us on that. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. For Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.